morning. I don't like taking Sunday morning time to talk about business. There are handouts um, on the way out, on uh, not on the credenza, on this other thing that's on your, what? The info table that's on your right on the way out. You can grab one of those. It has everything that you need to know. Um, if you're on our email list, I sent out an email last weekend, and there's a link to uh, the talk that we did at Dinner Sex, so you can hear all of the information. Just the brief recap, as we have that here, that's what you care about, right? That's how much it costs. So um, we're renovating all of the five spaces that we have. This, this building, the nursery next door, and all three of the spaces that we have up the street. You can see the total cost. We figure it'll probably take eight months. My hope is that we can be completely done by Advent. I don't know if that's feasible, but that's my hope. You can see the breakdown. The first three phases we've already begun. cost $182,000. We've got 85 on hand, so we need 97 by July 1 to make that happen. And then phases 4 and 5, which is what we're doing down here, it's 138. We hope to be able to contribute uh, money to that. That's our plan. We just don't know how much. We won't know until the summer. Um, so we're just saying we've got to raise the full 100%, and hopefully that will not be the case. Um, beginning in May, first week in May, I'll have a little card where you can just tell us how much you can give. We want, I don't want your name. We just need to know a number, so that way we know how to plan. Um, we're going to bid out all of the work down here, and so we need to know if we can actually do that. If we're not going to have the money to do it, then obviously it's silly uh, to bid. So we just need to, we just want to track um, how everybody is, what, we, we just want to track what's coming in, uh, so we can make a plan. So again, it's not, it's not a commitment or a pledge or anything like that. We're not going to send you a letter to remind you to give. We're not going to have a thermometer. We're not going to do any of those things. We're just asking you, you just pray, and if God wants you to get involved, you ask him how much, and then well, on May 5th, you just tell us what that number is, and we'll go from there. So no pressure at all. I just want you all to pray and hear the Lord, and my assumption is if we're all obedient, then we'll have whatever we're supposed to have, and we'll be able to move forward that way. If you have any questions, you can see me. I'll be more than happy to try to answer those. Uh, Hicks Poor is actually managing the project for us, and so he's, he's the liaison with the contractors and all of that. Uh, he is not here this morning, but if you have any questions from that end, or if you're a contractor and you want to bid on some work, all of that stuff is going to run through Hicks, and I can put you in touch with him if you have any questions about that. So that's the building. Again, uh, y'all can just be praying that everything would run smoothly and we wouldn't have any issues and that it would be a blessing to everybody involved. All right, Matthew 13. So we closed last week. We looked at the last of the parables. There's a pretty hard shift uh, that what we're beginning with what we're going to look at today in uh, verse 53. The next several chapters focus pretty heavily on Jesus being rejected, which is positive for sure as he heads towards his crucifixion. And everything centers around the question of his identity. We've seen that for the past probably six or eight weeks. That continues to be the case here. You have um, Jesus, people wondering who he is, people mis misunderstanding who he is, people just completely um, misrepresenting who he is and kind of the fallout from all of that. So we're going to start reading in verse 53. Before we do that, there was a story um, maybe uh, five, six years ago from England, there was, there were, they were trying to do some work, trying to pass some laws to open up um, some adoption, thing, make things not quite so secretive. 
uh, trying to create a little more transparency so people would know who their parents are and all of this type of thing. And, and one of the pieces of evidence that they were using, there's actually a case that went before their high court of a couple who came before this judge to have their marriage annulled because it turned out they were fraternal twins. Separated at birth, adopted, raised, met each other, fell in love, got married, found out they were brother and sister. That is unfortunate for them. So it's important you keep that in mind. Identity, we'll come back to that uh, at the end. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, in his own house, is a prophet without honor. And And he did not do many miracles there. Because of their lack of faith. So you see there, Jesus goes home, Nazareth, and they move pretty quickly from being amazed at him, that's in verse 54, to being offended by him, that's verse 57. That idea of being offended, it's fall away is actually how you could understand that word. And if you look at what happens in between, there's not a lot that goes on. He teaches, and they're amazed by what he teaches, and that happens everywhere he goes. Everybody's amazed. And then they just start asking questions. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Great question. And then they jump from there. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Well, yes, it is. Isn't his mother's name Mary? Yes. And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Yes. Aren't all his sisters here with us? Yes. Then where did he get all these things? And they take offense. So something happens in that questioning process that causes them to reject Jesus. And he says, it's because it's my hometown. And I guess it's difficult. When you go home, if you go home, if you've grown, if you've changed, people, they, they, they wouldn't accept this is the guy who maybe built your dining room table and now he's saying he's the Messiah or he played soccer with you on the team and now he's the Messiah and there, there's no space in their minds or in their hearts for Jesus to grow or for Jesus to change and as a result, they miss him. So Jesus can't do much there because they don't have any faith. They're not trusting him to do anything. They reject him. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. So uh, Herod is ruling this area, and uh, he has, we'll read what he does with John, but he also misses Jesus, but it's a case of mistaken identity. Herod's never met him, tried to kill him when he was a baby, but he's never met him, and um, And he assumes that it's John who's been raised from the dead. Verse 3, we'll see what happened with John. Now Herod had arrested John, that's John the Baptist, and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. So real quick, so Herod has a first wife. His half-brother, his name is... Herod Philip is married to Herodias. Herod divorces his first wife, seduces his half-brother's wife, and marries her. That's Herodias. And according to Leviticus and decency, that's wrong. Like, you can't do that. In the Old Testament, you can't marry your brother's wife while your brother is still alive. 
And so John the Baptist, being John the Baptist, calling people to repentance, just says, listen, you're, you're wrong for doing that. That's wrong. And so Herod arrests him. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias, so that would be his stepdaughter, we know her name is Salome, danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, so this girl's probably about 12 years old, probably not allowed to speak for herself, so Herod makes this offer to her in front of all these people, so she goes aside and says, Mom, what do you think I should ask for? Prompted by her mother, she says, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. So Herod, again, he makes this big promise. And then when she says, I want John's head, Herod cares more about his reputation than justice. And so he goes on, he goes along with what she's asked for. So that's kind of what's going on in these stories. Really, again, the point is to show there's this rising hostility towards Jesus and people are still missing him. His hometown, these people who should know him, at least theoretically, they ought to know him well. I mean, he spent 30 years with them. He's only been gone maybe two years, between two and three years at the most. You would think he would get a warm reception from them. He doesn't. The reason being because he's, he's grown. He's, he's no, he still is who they say he was, but he's become more, and they won't let him become the more. They want him to stay Joseph and Mary's son and these guys' brothers and just a carpenter. That, that's who they want him to be. There's no space in their mind or their heart for Jesus to have grown at all. Herod misses him just because he, just a case of mistaken identity. And then we read this thing about John and what happens with him. So I was thinking about all of this for us and what does this look like for us. It could be difficult maybe to find connections. We don't live in Nazareth. None of us are going to be arrested and have our heads cut off. And so what are, where are the connection points? And I thought of several things. They say familiarity breeds contempt, and I don't know if that's true. But I do know that it breeds complacency. And I think that's probably one of the things that happened in Nazareth. And I do think that's something that can happen with us. So if you're someone like me who was raised in a church, went to Sunday school, went to vacation Bible school, youth group, summer camps, like all of that. I've done all of those things all of my life. All of this stuff to me, is, it's, it's, honestly, it's, it's familiar. All of the things that we do, I know what the Bible's going to say, but I, I know what the next verses are because I've read them. I pretty much know what the preachers are going to say because I've already heard the sermons. I know the next verse in the songs. I, I know what, it's familiar to me. I've been, I'm 38 years old and I've been in a church culture for all of those 38 years. And so for someone like me, if that's you, if you've been doing this for a while, I think what we read here is a warning to us that our familiarity with Jesus can lead to complacency on our part. Some of you exercise, and you probably heard, you have to confuse your muscles every four to six weeks. If you continue to do the same thing over and over again, it's better than doing nothing, but the, the benefits diminish over time. If you run three miles at a 10-minute pace every day, that's great. That's better than running no miles. But at some point, not too far down the road, you're not going to get very much out of that. You're, you're used to it. Your legs, your lungs, your heart, everything is used to running that route at that pace. And if you want to continue to improve, 
if you want to continue to get the benefits of, of running, then you need to do something different. You need to run longer, or you need to run faster, or you need to run up a hill, or you need to get on a bike, or you need, you need to do something different. You need to use different muscles or use your muscles in different ways. They just get used to whatever it is that you're doing, and they kind of get on autopilot. Again, it's better than doing nothing, but if the point is to continue to get healthier, you're not necessarily helping yourself. Any of you who've been in a relationship long-term, parent, child, friend, spouse, whatever, you know this happens there as well. It's easy to get into routines or ruts, if you like. It's easy to get in those things in a long-term relationship. This is just what we do. We go eat at this restaurant on Friday night. It's what we do. This is how we interact with one another. These are the gifts that we give each other. And that's again, that's okay, but it can lead to complacency. And if the point of the so if, my, if the point of my relationship with Misty, if the purpose is to express love to her, to love her, that's good. And I want to be consistent in that purpose, but I can be creative in how I execute that. And so if I say to her, she says, I'm just not sure that you love me. I say, I buy you flowers the first Friday of every month. You should know. That's, okay, that's good. Buying her flowers is better than not. But at some point, she may want me to do something else. And not just kind of be on autopilot with the flowers. Maybe there's something else that she would like me to do. Well, we, or, you know, this is what we do. We go to lunch on Fridays, and this is where we go. And that's, again, consistency is good. But at some point, she may say, do you even think about this anymore? You want to put a little effort into it. Pick a different restaurant. Let's do something else. Not because what you're doing is bad. But, again, it's just that idea of there's kind of diminishing returns when you do that. You can just get an autopilot when you do the same thing over and over again. And the same thing is true about our relationship with the Lord. Very easy to become complacent. So if the purpose, we want to be consistent to deepen our relationship with him, but the execution of that, we want to be creative. And you can think about that in lots of different ways. Some of you have read the Bible a lot. You, you know it. You already know the stories. And so when you read the Bible, you don't necessarily get a whole lot out of it. You read it because you're supposed to, which is it's better to read it than to not read it. But if I were to ask you, when was the last time you actually learned something? When was the last time there was any revelation when you read the Bible? You would, couldn't remember. And so what I would say to you, it's not because you know it all, because you don't. It's just because you become, you're in a rut. So do something different. Read a different translation. It'll change things. Some of you are used to reading a little bit and getting a lot of depth. So read a lot and read it fast. It'll change. Some of you are used to reading a lot, so just read a little. Some of you have done Beth Moore. Don't do another Beth Moore Bible study. Do somebody else's Bible study, somebody different. Just find something that's different. It will, it'll change things for you. Prayer. Again, some of us, you pray the same prayers every morning. It's better to pray the same thing than not pray anything, but change it up some. For some of you, the biggest difference would be instead of just praying in your head, actually pray out loud. You'll feel weird. You can do it where nobody's around, so they don't think you're weird. But it's different. It's different if you hear things through your ears than if you're just thinking them in your head. That change might affect your prayer life. Some of you normally pray in a certain place. Go somewhere else. Just change things. Pray about something different. Try to not pray about, don't pray about your family tomorrow and pray about something else. Your family's not going to fall into a pit because you didn't pray for them tomorrow. Pray about something else. Then go back and pray about your family on Tuesday. But 
just change it a little bit. Some of you spend most of your time talking. Try to go 50-50, talking and being quiet. There's all kinds of different things that you can do. The point is not necessarily what. For me, it's just being intentional, saying, I'm looking for, I'm trying to be creative in how I'm relating to Jesus. I don't want to get complacent and just continue to do the same things over and over and over again. Service is another thing. Some of us, we do the same things. You hear Penny's announcement and you say, either children are my thing or children aren't my thing. And if they are your thing, then you're going to sign up. And if they're not, you're going to run away. Like, think about, are there different ways that you can serve? Work with kids if you never have. Go on a short-term mission trip. Work at, volunteer at must. Just find different things, different opportunities to serve. Again, it's the same thing. It just, it creates space. It's a, it's a new avenue for God to reveal himself to you and for you to learn something new about him. What we don't want is to be these guys in Nazareth who say, I, I, no, aren't, aren't you this? Well, you can't be this. This, this is who I've always known you to be. None of us have exhausted who Jesus is. And if we pigeonhole him, then we're going to wind up missing something. Herod, I don't know that that necessarily connects with many people here. I would say people who don't know Jesus, this is a common uh, issue for them. They're rejecting someone who's not, they're, they're not really rejecting him. They're rejecting some distortion of who he is. I think a great question to ask if there's someone who is consistently resistant to Jesus is just to say, who exactly are you rejecting? Can you tell me who Jesus is in your mind? And it may very well be that what they described, you would say, I I wouldn't follow that guy either. And that's not really who he is. Let me tell you who he really is. And sometimes, again, if if you are in a relationship with somebody, you've got a good um, relationship with somebody, and they're consistently rejecting Jesus, it might at some point be appropriate just to say, can you tell me who this one is that you're finding it so difficult to follow? And it, it, again, it may be that as they're describing Jesus, you would say, that's actually not him at all. That's not who he is. And that's, that's a Herod thing. He had never met Jesus, and he just assumed he was John the Baptist. And John's a great guy, but he's not Jesus. I was also looking at this thing with John, that verses 3 through 12, and what happens with him. One of the things for us, this kind of identity piece, so we've looked at Jesus' identity. We want to make sure that we're giving him the freedom to be who he is, to new things with us. We, we don't want to become complacent. When I look at this thing with John, I think of our identity and the way results can impact identity, the, what we see outwardly, how that can affect how we feel about ourselves or who we think we are. John was doing his deal in our Stonebridge terminology. God had set him apart, said, listen, you're going to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You're going to call people back to holiness. You're going to call people to a, to a, a, a righteous lifestyle. And he was doing that, and that got him arrested, and that got him beheaded. Outwardly, it could look like John was a failure, not necessarily great results. He's doing what he's supposed to do, and this is what happens for him. He gets arrested, and then he gets his head cut off. Not necessarily what any of us are looking for when we say we want to live a life of obedience before the, before the Lord. That's not what we're thinking. And those types of results can really impact how you see yourself. If you go back and look at Matthew 11, John has what looks like to me a big crisis. And he sends 
emissaries, messengers to Jesus, say, are you really the right guy? Because John's in jail. Things are not playing out the way he thinks that they should or the way that he thinks that they would. Well, if God is doing this, then I think it's going to look like this. And for John, it didn't look like this at all. He was riding high. He had a large ministry. People were responding positively to him. Then Jesus, then he gets arrested and Jesus comes on the scene and John's just kind of languishing in prison. Nothing is necessarily happening the way John would anticipate. And again, to me, it looks like he has a crisis of faith or a crisis of identity. Is this, Jesus, are you, are you really the one? And am, am I doing this stuff right? When we think of pride, a lot of times we think of being cocky or being arrogant, and that's part of it. But if you see humility as thinking rightly about yourself, about agreeing with God, then pride is disagreeing with God. And you can disagree with God in many ways. You can disagree with God by thinking too highly of yourself. That's the balloon that gets overly inflated and pops. You can also disagree with God by thinking too little of yourself. That's a balloon that doesn't have any air in it at all. It's just deflated. Both of those things are actually, it's two sides of pride. It's disagreeing with God about who you are, and humility is agreeing with him about who you are. And you can see how results can impact that. If you're if you have a lot of success, it's easy to begin to take credit for that. That can kind of swell your head and you're moving in that direction. For many of us, I think the, 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 the bigger ditch is on the other side. When we're struggling, when we're not seeing a lot of outward success, when outwardly the results do not look good, we don't necessarily see a lot of fruit. We go through our days and wonder, is it, did, it even ma- did I even do anything? Did it even matter? Did I do anything? at all, that had any significance. And if you begin to live that way day to day, if that's how you see your life, it can cause, again, that balloon, it can just cause it to deflate. And then that lack of outward results can begin to impact who you see yourself to be in a pretty negative way. You can wind up kind of being Eeyore in a lot of ways. It's true. That's, what, that's where that leads to. Not necessarily everybody, for some it's not necessarily self-pity. For some that's what it is. But it's just this idea of I'm a loser. It doesn't matter what I do. I don't contribute. There's nothing significant here. I'm not bearing any fruit. Failure can do that. If you look at Jesus and John, both of them poor external results. Jesus goes home. You would imagine there'd be some kind of parade and it's none of that stuff. He's not able to do anything, and it has nothing to do with Jesus. It's because they weren't willing to allow him to be who he was. Same thing with John. He's thrown in jail and gets his head cut off. No disobedience on his part. No divine displeasure. No incompetence. None of that is because Herod wanted to do what he wanted to do. Herod wanted to keep this Herodias who he shouldn't have married. And he got fired up, and she got fired up, and they had the power, and so they kept John had nothing to do with anything John had done wrong. It's not an identity thing for him. And that's maybe the point for us to make. Some of you this morning are struggling. You're not really, you're not producing a whole lot externally in whatever, however you would define that, whether that's professionally, relationships, or spiritually. You're not seeing a lot of fruit. You're failing, honestly, if you were to say that. There's poor outward results. And those poor outward results are starting to impact everything in here. And you're going from that didn't go well 
or things are not working out the way that I thought they were to identity statements. I'm not doing well. That's the difference between those two things. And if that's where you are this morning, what I want you to hear is it's not necessarily the case. Poor outward results don't necessarily have anything to do with anything regarding your heart, regarding your relationship with God, regarding his plans and purposes for your life, regarding his favor upon you, regarding his pleasure that he takes in you. John was right where he needed to be in terms of he did the right thing. He was fulfilling God's calling on his life. The results of which where he got arrested and got his head cut off. Jesus was doing what he, he was right where he needed to be fulfilling God's call in his life. People just weren't, they just didn't respond. The parables that we've been looking at speak to this. There will be success. That's the leaven. A little bit does make an impact. But it's not going to be, there's not going to be success every time. That's the parable of the mustard seed. This thing is still growing. The parable of the, of the wheat and the weeds. There's still some people out there, they're going to reject, and, they're gonna, and their, their personal rejection, it's, it's going to impact you, and people are going to oppose, and people are going to subvert, and they're going to do all of those things. And we don't need to see any of that as impacting who we are in Christ. When we say identity precedes activity, it doesn't just mean precedes in terms of time. You need to know who you are before you begin to walk into the things God has for you, but Identity precedes activity in terms of foundation as well. And my activity doesn't affect my identity. It, it just this is, it's, it, Identity comes first. Before I've done anything good or bad, I am who I am in Christ. And then whatever I do, good or bad, doesn't affect who I am in Christ. Because my, it's preceded that. My identity has already been established before I begin to do anything. John had a little, John might have been a little confused on that. I don't know, but there's this crisis that he has because things are going so poorly for him. And that may be where you are this morning because things are going poorly. You're having a bit of a crisis around who you are in Christ or maybe just around who you are, period. And what I want you to hear from this, this morning, it's not necess- that doesn't have to be. The enemy is taking your, these circumstances and he's trying to push them back into your heart. And that's not where they belong. They're circumstances and they belong out here. And God, and whatever with circumstances. We can talk about those things all day long. The important part for us is to recognize what God is doing in our hearts. And re- that's solid and that can't be shaken. And so this morning, if you would say, honestly, I feel a bit like a loser. I don't feel fruitful. I don't know that it matters what I do. I can't, see, I can't see anything. Maybe you're working hard, maybe you're not, but you can't see anything. And that's beginning to affect how you view yourself. I want to encourage you this morning that what the father said to Jesus at his baptism, this is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. We've got to get back there. So this morning as we move into ministry, that's my encouragement to you is let us pray for you. Let's ask God to reaffirm who you are in him. It doesn't, John's still got his head cut off. I'm not saying that your results are going to change one way or the other. What I'm saying is those things don't have to 
affect this sense of identity in you. That's what the enemy, that's how the enemy wants to use those things. What we want to do is be confident and secure in who we are in Christ so then we can go and live a life of faithful obedience regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how those things happen to play out. So again, if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to, I know it's hard, I just basically said, if you feel like a loser, come forward. So that's, that's not an easy thing to respond to. So you can limp if you want, and w- people will think that you have a hurt ankle, and we're praying for you, for your ankle to be better. But that's what, that's where we are this morning. Some of you are, you're in a rut, and you need some, you just need to spice things up in terms of your relationship with God. You need to do something different, and I would encourage you to do that. Before you leave today, I would encourage you to think about, what am I going to do different? I'm going to read different, I'm going to pray different, I'm going to serve different, just Think of something that starting today or tomorrow you can do different just for the sake of being creative. Just like sometimes it's okay to pick a different Mexican restaurant other than La Feria just to see what else is out there. So do that in terms of your relationship with God and do it in faith. God, I'm going to do this different hoping I see some different side of you. Hoping I see something new about who you are. I'm going to choose to read a different translation just because I want to have to pay attention. I don't want to be on autopilot when I'm reading, or I'm going to pray in a different way just to see if there's a way that you speak to me. So anyway, so that's the complacent piece. And then this other thing, this John deal with identity, if that's you this morning, and again, you just, you're, you're feeling low, we just want to pray that God would inflate the balloon a little bit. So let's pray, and then Bo will come up and close us uh, with ministry. God, I do pray for each of us that our relationship with you would be ever deepening and that we would not get in a rut. Routine maybe is okay. We want to be consistent in our purpose, which is connecting with you and deepening our relationship with you. But God, the places where we need to be creative in terms of how we execute that, I pray you would speak to every man and woman in this room individually and personally, and they would know if you're leading them down a new road in terms of prayer or reading the Bible and service that you would reveal those things to us this morning and that we would commit to beginning to doing those things uh, in the next day or so. And then, Lord, for any in the room who are um, just feeling fruitless and they're looking at their life and they're not seeing a whole lot, God, I pray for the circumstances to change, absolutely. But this morning, my prayer is, God, that you would guard their hearts and that you would guard their minds, that you would remind them of who they are in you and of all of the things that are yes and amen because of the death and resurrection of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand. We'll have ministry teams in the corner. We'll be happy to pray with you all about anything that's going on in your life.